Hi, everyone, and welcome back. It's good to be with you once again in our Midweek Bible Study 2023 Winter Edition. Today is Wednesday, February 8th. We're continuing in our study of 2 Corinthians. Today we'll be studying the second half of chapter 11 with verses 16 to 33, and we'll be talking about Paul's many trials. Here's a brief summary of what we'll be talking about today. Today's verses include Paul's long list of ways he had suffered in his service to Christ. He described this as crazy talk, mocking the arrogant style of the false apostles. In truth, the Corinthians probably would have thought of these as signs of failure, weakness, or loss. Paul was really shocked that they were so willing to be mistreated by the false apostles. This abuse was something Paul was too weak to do in his Christ-like service for them. So, as we'll see, Paul's discussion of his weakness will lead to his conclusion in the following chapter that Christ is strongest in him when he is weak. There's a lot to talk about, as you can see. So before we do, we always start with a word of prayer. So join me in that. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, it's good to be back studying again. Thank you for everyone that's come to join us today. To you be all honor and glory. Open our hearts and minds to receive your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. All righty, open up your Bible or Bible apps to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 to 33. Follow along as I read. Again, I say, don't think that I'm a fool to talk like this. But even if you do, listen to me as you would to a foolish person, while I also boast a little. Such boasting is not from the Lord, but I am acting like a fool. And since others boast about their human achievements, I will too. After all, you think you're so wise, but you enjoy putting up with fools. You put up with it when someone enslaves you, takes everything you have, takes advantage of you, takes control of everything, and slaps you in the face. I'm ashamed to say that we've been too weak to do that. But whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again. I dare to boast about it too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. I have shivered in the cold, without even clothing to keep me warm. Then besides it all, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I am not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Artus kept guards at the city gates to catch me and I had to be lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him. Wow, that's a lot to take in today, isn't it? All right, let's unpack these verses. 
We'll start with verses 16 through 18. Let me read them again for you. Again I say, don't think that I am a fool to talk like this, but even if you do, listen to me, as you would to a foolish person, while I also boast a little. Such boasting is not from the Lord, but I'm acting like a fool. And since others boast about their human achievements, I will too. The theme of boasting is once again in the forefront of Paul's words. He talked about it last time when we met. It seems, though, that this time Paul is taking a different stance towards boasting. Why did he do this? And was he more concerned about himself or the Corinthians? First of all, it should be clear to us at this point in the study that Paul did not want to boast about anything but Christ. But faced with the persistent fault-finding of his critics, Paul felt compelled to list his accomplishments for the Corinthians. He wasn't primarily concerned with his own reputation, but instead he was concerned with the spiritual welfare of the Corinthian believers. If his critics' attacks went unanswered, the believers might turn away from Christ. Paul had to speak up in order to quiet the gossip and slander circulating in the Corinthian church. And even though Paul knew that he had to defend himself, he was extremely careful. He cautiously explained to the Corinthians that he was going to act like a fool in order to silence those false teachers. Next up, look at verse 19. It says, After all, you think you were so wise, but you enjoy putting up with fools. The question is, why does Paul say the Corinthians are putting up with fools? What's that all about? Well, as you can tell, Paul is talking with great sarcasm. In fact, I would call it biting sarcasm. And with that, Paul reprimanded the Corinthians for putting up with these arrogant false teachers. They thought they were being wise when they welcomed itinerant teachers. Those are kinds of teachers and preachers that go from place to place. They thought they were being wise when they welcomed those folks and listened to their new ideas. If these teachers were godly like Apollos, Paul applauded this generous hospitality. But these more recent teachers were introducing a different gospel and were discrediting Paul in the process. Apparently, the Corinthians enjoyed listening to fools. Verse 20 is next. It says, You put up with it even when someone enslaves you, takes everything you have, takes advantage of you, takes control of everything, and slaps you in the face. The question is, now Paul talks about the Corinthians being enslaved. What does he mean? The Corinthians continued to listen to the false teachers, even when it became clear that they were trying to enslave them. Paul went on to explain the nature of the enslavement, and he uses four images of exploitation. Do you see that phrase, takes everything? This is a translation of a Greek verb commonly used to describe how animals devour their prey. Now next, look for the phrase, takes advantage. This is from the Greek verb used to describe how a hunter catches animals with a bait or trap. The imagery suggests that the false teacher's primary sin was their motives. Next, these men were traveling preachers looking for some gullible group of people to support them. They wanted to take control of the Corinthians by literally preying on them, trying to exploit their relationship for all it was worth. And ironically, the Corinthians thought they were wise by welcoming these teachers when in reality, these itinerant teachers were making the Corinthians into slaves. That's the third image. With arrogant boasts, they paraded their credentials and achievements. And the last image says, slaps you in the face. Do you see that? This was the image of what these false teachers were doing to the Corinthians. Not a great picture at all, is it? All right, let's look at verse 21. It says, 
I'm ashamed to say that we've been too weak to do that, but whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again. I dare to boast about it too. So the question is, why does Paul say that he and his companions were too weak? What is that all about? It also sounds like Paul is going to boast after all. So what does he mean by that? I think Paul was probably quoting what his critics said about him when he wrote that he was too weak to take advantage of the Corinthians, to take their money, and to physically discipline them. But even though Paul would refrain from doing that, he was going to dare to boast, just as his opponents did. And once again, Paul issues a disclaimer. He felt foolish talking as he did and listing all of his accomplishments. Let's look at verse 22. It says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. The question is, Paul begins his defense with very key comparisons. Why is that important? These statements address the charges Paul's opponents leveled against him point by point. First of all, these traveling preachers from Judea were bragging about being Hebrews and Israelites, God's chosen people. Well, Paul had been born in Tarsus, and so in his opponent's eyes, he had a questionable heritage. Paul was one of the descendants of Abraham through the tribe of Benjamin. He had been circumcised eight days after he was born, a physical sign of his Israelite heritage. He had been trained by one of the most respected Pharisees of the day, Gamaliel. As a Pharisee, he had spent hours poring over the Hebrew Bible and had been scrupulously careful to observe Jewish law. You can read more in Philippians 3, 4 through 6. No one could question Paul's credentials as a Jew and as an expert in the Hebrew scriptures. Then verse 23 continues, Are they servants of Christ? I know I may sound like a madman, but I've served him far more. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. So again, here's the question. What is Paul's main point as he continues in his defense here? Although Paul conceded his opponent's Jewish heritage, he would not agree with them that they served Christ. To prove his point, Paul listed all the trials he suffered for Christ. Could his opponents, who boasted in achievements, accomplishments, and credentials, produce an even more extensive list of suffering and persecution endured for Christ? Were they willing to follow Jesus' way of the cross, his life of suffering? Were they willing to take up their crosses daily for Christ? Paul had suffered the hardship of imprisonment, including being whipped, Acts 16, 22 to 24. He had faced death on a number of occasions, Acts 14, 19. Paul was sacrificing his life for the gospel, something these false teachers would never, ever do. And then in verse 24, he continues, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. The question I have for you is this, why were the 39 lashes significant and what was the reason Paul was whipped repeatedly? According to Jewish law, 40 lashes was the maximum number the Jews could prescribe, Deuteronomy 25.3. The rabbis, though, would only allow 39 so that if the flogger somehow miscounted, he wouldn't accidentally sin by administering more than 40. As for Paul's punishment, it was for preaching the gospel, what Jews commonly called blasphemy. And it happened no less than five different times. Now, I want to make a note that none of these beatings are recorded in the book of Acts, but the adamant opposition of the Jews to the gospel message is recorded in Acts 13, verse 45 and 50, Acts 14, verse 2, and Acts 18, verses 6 and 12. Then in verse 25, he continues, 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent the whole night and a day adrift at sea. Now, instead of a question, I just have a comment about this verse I want to share with you. Here, Paul continues to list four more trials that he endured for the cause of Christ. According to Roman law, only the Romans could administer beatings with rods. Yet Paul was beaten with rods in Philippi, Acts 16.22. At Lystra, Paul had survived being stoned, Acts 14, verses 8 through 20. And sea travel was not as safe as it is today. Paul had been shipwrecked three times and he would face another accident on his voyage to Rome in Acts 27. The fact that Paul had survived 24 hours adrift at sea would have been considered miraculous in the first century, a sign surely that God's hand was on his life. Next up is verse 26. It says, I've traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. So the question I have for you is, the sea wasn't the only place Paul faced danger. Where else did he encounter danger? Remember, Paul traveled all over the Mediterranean world. Robbers were a constant problem at that time. In addition, Paul's very own people, the Jews, they were trying to orchestrate his complete downfall. When Paul first visited Corinth, the Jews had dragged him before the governor of Achaia in order to stop him from preaching. You can read about that in Acts 18, verses 12 to 17. The Gentiles also had opposed Paul in Philippi and in Ephesus. You can read more about that in Acts 16, 19 through 24, and Acts 19, 23 to 31. Paul's list of dangers climaxes in men who claim to be believers but are not. His point is abundantly clear. Since he had bravely faced all sorts of dangers for Christ, he certainly would have enough courage to face those false teachers who were discrediting his authority and his name in Corinth. All right, let's look at verse 27. It says, I have worked long and hard, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without even clothing to keep me warm. Here Paul references that he worked long and hard. The question is, was he referring to his work as an apostle, or was there something else that he was involved in? We know by reading scripture that Paul supported himself by working at a manual trade. He was a tent maker, something he was taught as a young boy. Working as a tent maker, as well as being an apostle for Christ, contributed to his weariness, pain, and sleepless nights. Because of the low wages of itinerant laborers and the hardships of first century travel, Paul was often hungry, he was often thirsty and cold. But he had endured all of these hardships cheerfully to preach the gospel, to tell men and women all over the Roman Empire that Jesus could save them from their sins. Let's look at verse 28. It says, Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. My question is, why was Paul's concern for the churches a burden? Every day, Paul thought about the spiritual health of the churches he founded. There were so many pitfalls and traps in which a young congregation could fall. Persecution could force the church to compromise its theology. Quarreling and inner strife could distract the church from its purpose. False teachers could deceive a church. So Paul was concerned churches would not persevere in the faith. One indication of his burden was his dedication and persistence in praying for all of them. 
All right, let's look at verse 29. It reads, who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? I'd like to share a comment on this rather than a question. Paul clearly felt a deep connection with each and every church that he planted and all the people therein. That's clear when you read the word. If he heard of anyone who was weak in the faith, he sympathized with that person and he encouraged stronger believers to help them. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 And of course, if a person or persons was led astray from the faith, Paul said he burned with anger at the ones who caused that. Folks, this is what a shepherd's heart looks like. And I know for me personally, I take great comfort in Paul's example. I am certainly not in the same plane as him, but I understand his heart from reading, and certainly he cared about all of his flocks. Look at verse 30. It says, If I boast, I would rather boast about things that show how weak I am. The question is, in contrast to Paul's words in previous verses, he now says he would rather boast about things that show his weakness. Well, that doesn't seem logical. What does he mean? The Corinthians had forced Paul to defend his own integrity and his apostolic authority. But what Paul really wanted to focus on was how weak he was. Yes, he paraded his sufferings, trials, and weaknesses before his opponents. But he did not boast in his accomplishments as they did. He diffused some of their criticisms. The only way Paul could show his authority was to point out how God had worked through his weaknesses. These were the telltale signs of God's work in his life. All right, let's look at verse 31. We're almost there, folks. Hang in there. It says, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows that I'm not lying. I think this is fascinating because Paul had already called on God as a witness to his truthfulness on three other times in this letter. First, when he asserted his integrity in his recent travel plans, chapter 1, verse 18. Then two, when he denied taking any money from the Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 10. And three, when he asserted his genuine love for them, also in chapter 11, verse 11. And finally, let's look at the last two verses together today, verses 32 and 33. They read, When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Artus kept guards at the city gates to catch me. I had to be lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him. My question is, why were the guards at the Damascus city gates ready to catch Paul? The Jews in Damascus had been able to enlist the governor to help them try and catch Paul. You can read about it in Acts 9, verses 22 to 25. The way the passage builds up to this story, it indicates that Paul saw this as a really important event. Earlier in Paul's life, he had come to Damascus with his head held high. The high priest had given him the authority to arrest Christians in that city. After his conversion, Paul was forced to sneak out of the city under the cover of darkness. He couldn't even walk around the city gates, much less command the authority and respect of the city elders. Although Christ had predicted that Paul would suffer much for him, Acts 9 verses 15 and 16, this was probably the first time Paul had realized to what extent he would have to suffer. Hunted as a common criminal, he couldn't stand up to his accusers and defend himself with integrity. Instead, he had to run. For Paul, fleeing would have been considered a coward's reaction. This was probably one of the weakest moments he had experienced in his life, and admitting this to his opponents in Corinth would have been extremely difficult for him to write. No doubt there. Well, folks, you did it. You stuck through it, and we've got to the end of the study today. We've been talking about Paul and his many trials. We found Paul that adopted the tactics of the false teachers in order to show that they shouldn't be trusted, and by acting like the false teachers, 
Paul helped to show the Corinthians that these teachers really didn't care about the gospel or them at all, while that was the only thing Paul was concerned with. Next time, we're going to study 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 10, and we're going to talk about Paul's vision and thorn in the flesh. Thanks again for taking time to be with me today. It's always a joy to share with you. Have an amazing rest of your day and week. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.